Hello and welcome to the Oklahoma Drill. Uh, this is Ryan joined today by Alex and Sam, and we're going to go through a bit of the offensive line preview um, as part of our 2019 OU football preview series. Um, but um, first, I think we have some other stuff we wanted to talk about. Um, Alex, do you want to lead the way? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we are I think two days in now, or I guess that today was the third day of fall camp, um, which always an exciting time of the year because it's like football is so close. You can taste it. And I know for me, I wind up just kind of scouring the internet for tidbits about information coming out of camp because you get very little access to what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is that time of year, so that's exciting. Um, I think, obviously, the, the main storyline is going to be Alex Grinch, um, the new defensive coordinator who, you know, by all from all accounts, you know, everybody seems to really like him. And the thing that I think is most interesting about that is that, like, I think that it's interesting the way the way the players have responded, considering some of the stuff that's kind of come out about what Alex Grinch has said about them. Um, right and to me that's a that's a positive though right like he kind of came out and shit on him you know to other to recruits that he's recruiting for the 2020 class and you know talking about how there's no nfl guys but you haven't really heard anything any like negative responses from the players and to me that's a positive that they're they're taking what he is telling them seriously and just trying to improve no yeah I think it, I mean, it really speaks, I guess, to the maturity of the current defensive players uh, in the way they've been able to take in stride. Like the fact that a large part of his uh, like motivational structure for this season is really built around like, hey, you guys sucked last year and we can never let that happen ever again. Like the number 129 is like becoming a mantra of motivation within that side of the ball um and like for that to be like a positive for that to like elicit a positive response from the defensive players to me like speaks really well of their character yeah i think it's important like it is awesome to see your guys respond that way and i think it has to be in some small part like i think that's a skill of grinches to get people to respond that way whenever you're criticizing them you know if you if Mike Stoops is saying those kinds of things to his players. You would imagine it would ring very hollow. And it's like, these guys are responding to Grinch. He's saying, you know, how bad they were last year and elicits from them. And I think that's already a good sign for the year. Yeah. I think it with Grinch, he's obviously a very like intelligent guy and he knows how to relate to people and relay that, that message to them. But I also think with him, it's just, it's such a consistent message, and I think that nothing we, you know, probably the main thing you could say about Mike Stoops is that the message was inconsistent from him. Um, <laughs> like, pretty much probably week to week, they were probably getting something different from him. And I think that, you know, with Grinch being pretty much about as consistent um, with his message as possible, where it's just, you know, there's basically one goal for us, and that's to get the ball back to our offense, you know, and you have to come with 100% effort. To me, that is, that's exciting to see that they've responded well. And it just kind of speaks volumes for, you know, how competent 
he seemingly is and how incompetent previous leadership was. And right. I just want to I just want to take a, a minute or so to just shit on Mike Stoops a little bit. Yeah, I, let's do it. I know I know we've done that before and it's it's been done a lot, but I'm trying I'm struggling to like figure out what he could have possibly been good at because I know that like from the media and a lot of people you hear, you know, even current players, they they talk about, well, Mike was a good football coach. He just kind of lost his way and he kind of lost the players. And I just want to say, I think Mike Stoops was a bad football coach by the end. Like when you're a good coach that doesn't adjust to a new era of football, you then become a bad football coach. And he clearly, I think, I think his scheme doesn't get shit on near as much as it should. I know it does from us, but like, it seems like the big thing, even from Lincoln is like, yeah, it's a mentality thing that we need to change. But I think that the, the scheme can't be overlooked and how stupid it was, right? Like the two gap, like keep everything in front of you and just kind of like, I hope the other team screws up, you know, while they're sustaining long drives. That was always a really stupid idea and it should have never been looked at as anything but that. And, um, you know, that together with the idea of, you know, well, you just can't do anything with these big 12 offenses is enough for me to just think that like Mike Stoops in every category failed as a coach and in no way was he a good football coach. No, yeah, I agree. Um, (laughs) uh, like you just, no arguments here. The, like the combination of like defeatism whenever like the question of like his personal failure in terms of inability to develop a competent scheme um, and the like seething rage he had for his players when they made mistakes in that system that already didn't work is like, this isn't like, this just isn't the way an adult acts, right? This is a child. And he like to, college media writ large he was a child he was a thing for a camera to be pointed at when things went wrong like that's like a a distraction for the program uh and b just like so indicative of just why would we expect players to have his respect when none of the college football apparatus has respect for mike stoops Yeah, it it's it's just really amazing that he hung on for as long as he did, you know, and was able to sell because he was obviously selling stuff to people that were employing him. And I know part of that was that it was his brother, and I know that Lincoln had a a loyalty to the entire Stoops family, but there there was something there that they saw. So I mean, I at least give him credit for that, but it is just really refreshing to have a guy like Alex Grinch you know, talking about accountability and just effort, you know, like that was just not what was going on. Um, all right, let's move on from, from the defense. Um, we're, we're very excited to see what it is, uh, what that is going to do this fall. Let's talk about quarterback just for a minute. And I, I have a, I guess not, it's not a hot take, I guess, but it's just a take about the quarterback battle i guess we'll call it um i think obviously jalen hurts is going to start the season as the quarterback um 
I'm starting to feel more and more, and I'm I'm not basing this off of anything really, more than just like, you know, you hear a little bit about Spencer Rattler looks good, you know, but I think Spencer Rattler will play meaningful snaps for OU this year, uh, whether that be as like a starter that replaces Jalen Hurts or just a guy that like, hey, we're going to put him in for a series in a game, you know, just to see what he can do, you know, not dissimilar from what Clemson did with Trevor Lawrence last year. I think we're going to see that at some point. And I I mean, not to say that I think Jalen Hurts isn't going to be really successful because I do think he will be. Um, but I think Spencer Rattler is going to be too good to not be on the football field. And I think by the end of this, like Tanner Mordecai will just kind of be a background feature in this, in the quarterback group. I mean, yeah, I and I, I'd love to <laughs> see ahead. that personally. I mean, you want to see, you want to see those talented guys get like some low stakes playing time before, you know, next year he's presumably the starter and it's all in his shoulders and he has, two Heismans and then a third, if Jalen Hurts has a great year, like a third incredible season to follow up. And so you'd like for him to get those low stakes minutes right now. And it's kind of like, you know, Kyler, while Baker is still around, we he was just a talent that you couldn't keep off the field. And they're different, you know, you can use Kyler in different ways, obviously. But Kyler, you know, got to put the offense onto the field before it mattered for him to produce consistently on a hundred percent of the plays. And so I personally would love to see that, you know, not even just in blowouts, like you said, in meaningful moments of the game where it's not, you know, the end of the world, if he's trying to make something happen and throws a pick, or if he's, you know, two for five and then Jalen comes back in the next series. Like I think it'd be, it, it would be super important for the future of Spencer Rattler to get those, get a little bit of playing time here and there. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, and I actually think that like the situation with Kyler is, I mean, I mean, I don't know if we can extrapolate that Spencer Rattler will be as much of a like dominant football force as Kyler Murray was, was right? Like that is like obviously the most optimistic uh, possible future. But like you look at the way Lincoln used Kyler um, and use Baker and Kyler on the field at the same time, which is not a natural fit, even though Kyler like is versatile, like you've, you're still like. Now you're playing two undersized quarterbacks. Um, and like, what's that about? Um, but st- like, even so, like Lincoln found things that he thought were be- were worth trying in that setup. And like, were worth trying in like late game situations in the most pivotal game of the season. Um, right. Kyler got his number called late in the game against Georgia. Um, and so, yeah. No, I think it's entirely possible that if Spencer Rattler is like living up to uh, sort of what we think he can be, that he would find playing time. I would feel a little bad for Jalen Hurts for this to just keep happening to him. But Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I can envision a scenario where the actual, the legit Trevor Lawrence thing happens and like, it starts and Rattler's playing a little bit and he's just better at throwing the ball. Cause I, I think honestly, he probably is a better thrower. And I think that Jalen really the biggest attribute he's going to provide is just like experience and maybe like, you know, grasp of the offense. And that might be something, but to me, that is stuff that like 
you can catch up to. You know, you can't catch up to, well, this guy's just a better passer than I am. You know, like that's right. really not something that you could improve. But like Spencer Rattler could really grow in his grasp of the offense over the course of the season and become just the better option to be on the field. You know what I mean? And I would feel really bad for Jalen. And, you know, it probably wouldn't get to this point unless Jalen got hurt or unless he struggled. Um but I, I do think there's a scenario where Rattler is the better quarterback this season. And that, I mean, I don't know. I'm just really excited about Spencer Rattler. You know, obviously we've talked about him basically since his sophomore year on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just, he's finally here. You're seeing some videos of him throwing the ball. And I still it just, it, the ball looks different coming out of his hands than it does a guy like Jalen Hurts, who's not a bad thrower, but like, I think Rattler could truly be an elite thrower. Yeah. Do we have anything else uh, with the arrival of fall camp that we want to discuss? Uh, not no, really. No Tanner Mordecai takes out? I mean, other than he's irrelevant, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's a... Is he the second best Tanner? Oh, yes. Oh, wow. I mean, you guys... You guys saw the spring game. You saw the spring game. You saw Tanner Schaefer drive his offense down the field multiple times and throw multiple touchdowns. And uh, I didn't see a whole lot from Tanner Mordecai. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and get into our, our position preview. We're going to talk about the offensive line. Um, and it's unfortunate Nathan Hill couldn't join us for this because he honestly has probably the most knowledge of all these guys uh, out of all of us. But we're going to do our best to kind of try to pick up the slack for Nathan. Um, so I thought we might approach it a little differently instead of just going at, at it, you know, guy by guy and just trying to talk about each player. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to throw out a starting lineup for what I think it's going to be for Houston. And then I want to try to get us to predict the starting lineup for a like a Big 12 championship. So by the end of the season, what we think the starting lineup on the offensive line will be. And then we can kind of talk about what our expectations are for the group this season, you know, throughout the year. Um, so my prediction for what the starting lineup for Houston is going to be is at left tackle, Eric Swenson, at left guard. Marquise Hayes at center, Creed Humphrey, right guard, Tyrese Robinson, and right tackle, Adrian Ely. Um, do you guys have any qualms with that lineup? I um Nope. All sounds no, good to me. It seems all right. Like I th- to start like, the season. Right, course. to start this like to start the season. I think that there are a lot of possible combinations, and that one sounds fine. You know, you wonder if like RJ Proctor's experience um, would help him, but I don't know. It was with a different system. It wasn't with Beatonbow. So right, and you and wonder if RJ Proctor gets there, you know, January or something, if he's factoring into it more heavily. But he didn't get there till did he only start this summer? Is that when he got to Norman? Yeah, I believe that is the case. So he, yeah, he is not yeah. like a guy that's been in the system for a. A long time, but, you know, he is a guy that he is a senior, so he has a lot more experience than really anybody else he's right. going to be competing with. Um, so, all right, 
so let's start with just this group to start. And for, out. for the record, for the record, that's what Jason Kersey at the Athletic has as his projected starting lineup. Also, so if yeah, you're looking to become yeah. one of the, yeah, exactly, you said if you're looking to become one of the 500 riders for the Athletic, Alex, you're doing all right. I'm on my, I'm on my right. way. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, I actually get all my opinions from Jason Kersey at the yeah. Athletics. So shout out to Jason uh, Kersey I mean, for not the stealing the name shop. of this podcast, by the way. Yeah, I was actually I was happy about that. Like I was, I considered everyone everyone in his mentions saying that's the way you should name it. I was considering hit like just replying to everybody like, hey, go ch- it already exists. Go check it out. Yeah, I think we did have some listeners kind of doing that. So yeah, no, I know. We appreciate shouts, it. Shouts to Stephen Harris. I saw I saw one of his responses. Was there another one that did? I don't know. That's what I was talking about. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay, so obviously any conversation with the offensive line starts at center with Creed Humphrey. Um, this is a guy that on last year's offensive line was arguably the best player on that offensive line last season by the end of the year. Um, and he is only a redshirt sophomore, so really exciting stuff. The thing that is kind of interesting about that, though, talking about how this lineup has a lot of potential to change, like Creed Humphrey did not start last season as the starter at center. Right. Right, so you could have, like, a really big-time five-star talent, and it might not work out for him at the very beginning of the year, and they've got to beat somebody out. And so I think that there's a couple guys that have – like I would say Creed Humphrey type potential in terms of beating out the guy that starts the season. Um, but I think we all expect Creed Humphrey to be maybe the best center in the country this year. Um, he was maybe that by the end of last season. Um, he did kind of get introduced to like the NFL world when he got to play against Quinn and Williams in the national yeah. or in the playoff. But I think that will be nothing but great for him moving forward because he, you know, honestly, we just didn't see anybody like that all season, you know, and it was good for him to finally be kind of exposed to that kind of player. Yeah. And at the same time is like, you know, the first, you know, 15 minutes of that game, it was like, oh, wow, our offensive line is getting exposed. But like by the end of it, I was like, man, like one of my honest takeaways from that game was, man, Creed Humphrey is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and, you, you guys talked about it. I think in the last pod, how Quinn and Williams was by far the best player on the field, but you really didn't notice. Like, it wasn't like he was killing everybody every play. Like Creed, I would say, held his own fairly well. And as a guy as a redshirt freshman, after eleven, twelve starts, whatever, like that is that is impressive. Yeah. Well, yeah. like, dude was rattling like Alabama defensive tackles into committing unsportsmanlike penalties, just frustration fouls, like as a redshirt freshman, like Creed's legit. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited. And the thing about Creed is just, he's such a big player. Like Mm -hmm. he's a guy you could literally put at any position on the offensive line and he would not be undersized. And we've got him playing center for us, you know, so he's a far cry from the the Ty Darlingtons of the world who were just too small to really play at the highest level. Um, So what you're telling me is Creed Humphrey is a two lunch pail guy. He's got two (laughs) two lunch pails. Yes. hundred percent. Two lunch. He brings two lunch pails every day 
to to work. So, um, have I ever have I ever given my Creed Humphrey personal anecdote on this podcast? No, I don't. I don't know that I have. Nathan Nathan provides in depth analysis of every single player on the depth chart. And then when I'm on, I provide personal anecdotes of the one time I've seen these people out in the wild. But one time, uh, my girlfriend, she was moving into a house with like seven other girls that she was living with. And this was over the summer. And she told me, I was like going over to her house. And she was like, yeah, you know, these, my roommates are moving a couch in. So I thought it was like some dad's trying to get a couch. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll come in and help. Like I'll carry a couch i'm pretty young and able-bodied guy and I, like walk over to the house and then i like try to get a hand on the couch and then i walk in and the person on the other side of the house of uh, the couch is creed humphrey just absolutely manhandling the sectional and this is like true <laughs> freshman creed humphrey essentially picking up a sectional couch by himself and i was like that... oh i thought this was gonna be like old dads you absolutely do not need me for this couch <laughs> sorry Creed. continue what you're doing yeah he's a one-man moving crew I, he could probably yeah. do it all himself that's impressive that's good stuff yeah that's a great anecdote right there um Thanks. yeah i don't think ty darlington's lifting couches by himself no you know, so. not anymore especially right yeah he's small now it's crazy yeah um all right so Last thing about Creed that's, I think, going to really help the rest of the offensive line is that, you know, I know we've talked about the offensive line trying to compare them to, you know, like 2015 or even 2016 about how, like, the amount of experience and what we can expect early in the season. And what I'll say about both of those offensive lines is, or let's say 2016, you know, more specifically, is that we were breaking in a new center in 2016. And that kind of slowed the process down um, at the beginning of the year before Eric Wren really kind of established himself as the guy. And I think, you know, on most offensive lines, the the center is the guy that makes the calls. And those, if that guy's not doing his job at the highest level, you know, there are going to be some things that just don't go right. Even if you have really talented players, there's going to be some busts that, you know, that you shouldn't have. Um, and I think with Creed Humphrey, we're just not going to have that issue because think about it. 2016 was a slow start offensively on the offensive line. Um, it took us about three or four weeks to get adjusted. And then Eric Grin kind of established himself. 2017, we started really well. We beat Ohio State in week two. Eric Wren was returning. Granted, so were the other four guys on the offensive line. So it was all of them. But Eric Wren was the guy returning at center. And then last year, the offensive line was probably the best we've had, but I think all of us were kind of concerned about what we were seeing the first really three or four weeks of the year. And it wasn't really until that Texas game that you really felt comfortable about the direction they were headed, especially in terms of like run protect, you know, blocking for the run. And I think that um, a lot of that had to do with the fact that we started Jonathan Alvarez at the beginning of the year. And then we kind of we were kind of rotating him and Creed and then finally Creed established himself as the guy. And it took a couple weeks for him to get really comfortable, you know. And so maybe the fact that he's starting out after having almost an entire season um, of experience, maybe the fact that it's just him coming back, he can really take that leadership role and just, you know, be the best center in the country, making those calls and helping out these young but talented players. 
Yeah, I think I think he'll be. I'm personally not worried about the O line. Like that's the one guy you want returning. I think to keep everybody in check whenever you're going to have a lot of new faces there, and like having Creed here to stabilize everything, I think will make for a great transition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, okay. Oh, so, well, I was just going to say, like, move on. Moving on on the offensive line, I think the guy that kind of everyone expects, or is at least kind of surprised that he's listed as like a preseason starter, is Eric Swenson. Um, mm. and I, I get it because I wasn't really wanting him to be the starter. Like I kind of had my eyes on Bray Walker for this spot, but like the thing about Eric Swenson that you have to remember is that this guy was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. And just because he hasn't been playing so far in his career, like you have to look at who he was behind. He was behind right. Bobby Evans and Orlando Brown, like who else was going to play over those guys? Like, so it's not like he had a pathway to playing time. Like he could have been killing it behind him and we never would have known it because those two guys are like NFL, you know, top three round picks, you know what I mean? So I'm willing to give Eric Swenson a chance at the beginning of the season and, and see what he has, because obviously like he's not working. He's not like this random, like walk on or like two star guy that had no pub coming in. Like he was a four star commit um, that was a pretty big get for OU at the time. So I'm willing to give him a chance. You know, I, I think that, you know, if we talk about what the offensive line might look at the end of the year, it might be a little different and he would be the guy I would pick to be out of it. But right. um, I think there's some potential here with him that, you know, we just haven't seen yet. Right. No, I think that's fair. And like, you just look at his experience compared to everybody else on the line. Um, and that's like, that has to matter. Right, right. He's been playing for BD Beatenbow longer than any of these guys. Well, yeah, and he's been surrounded by the best offensive linemen in the country. You know, right. like Lincoln, multiple times you've heard him talk about just the culture that the offensive line alone has. Like it's like a its own thing inside the, the football program. Mm -hmm. And it's like the expectations of all those guys that they have for each other. Like he's been around that for this is his fourth year, right? So, you know, he might be like super ready day one and just come out and kill it. You know, there's no, there's really no telling. Um, obviously we have to see it first, but I think it's worth giving him a chance in that, in that spot before we really write him off. Um, and that's the thing with beating those, like you don't, you don't need five star guys across the board when you have a guy like that. Like if, if you're a good enough level recruit, you have the talent I'm confident that he's going to get the most out of anybody there. So just being in his system for however many years, whether he's on the field or not, like I'm confident yeah. in who I'm, I'm more confident in a guy that's a talented recruit. That's been in the system more than a guy that might be more talented, but hasn't been around as long. Right. I mean, right. yeah, look, some of the guys beating Bo has turned into like NFL type players we're not as highly rated as Eric Swenson. So it, it'll be interesting to see him play. Um, at the other tackle spot, Adrian Ely. Um, this guy is a massive human being. Uh, mm -hmm. I think he's listed at 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, mm -hmm. And, you know, I know he's a guy that whenever he was in high school, an another high four-star player. And that's a pretty consistent theme. Like, there's a couple three-stars in the group, but... The majority of all these guys are four stars, 
um, four-star guys. And that, that kind of, that gives me a lot of confidence because like I said, Beatenbow's done a lot more with a lot less in terms of talent. So, um, you know, we don't have a lot of experience back, but there's so much talent at all these positions. Right. And Ely to me is a guy that has the NFL talent. Like he's the guy who, you know, you could see being just a bully, like not necessarily like full Orlando Brown mode, but like he's kind of in that mold to me in my head, at least again, haven't seen him play a ton of football, but he is a massive individual that he's going to stand out when he's out there. Um, all right, moving over to the starting guards, Marquise Hayes. <laughs> this guy is hilariously big. Mm-hmm. Um, have you got, you guys have seen him right on the sidelines mostly, but mm-hmm. have you, yeah, like mm-hmm. a hilariously big individual. Um, I don't know exactly what he's listed. I'm sure it's probably over 340. Oh, he's listed at 65332. Oh, so. so he's lost some weight. Hey, that's Yeah, let's flip this narrative. Here we go. That's good news. A new lean Marquise Hayes, an athletic pulling Marquise Hayes. That's right. Yeah, this guy like that's really been the main concern I've ever had is like is he going to be mobile enough to like do all the things that we ask our offensive linemen to do? I feel pretty confident that when it comes down to him just beating the man across from him, he's going to be able to do that in most cases. You know, you've got your Quinn and Williams of the world, but like it pretty much anybody we see in the Big 12, he's going to have a physical advantage over them. And so to me that in itself you're working with a re- you're just working with a really it's like having a really good tool um, to work with, right? Um, Tyrese Robinson's the other guard. You know, he's not as big as Marquise Hayes. He's more athletic. You know, he's listed, I think, at like 328 or something. Um, do you have that information? He's listed at exactly 328. Hey, look at me. Look at me. <laughs> yeah, I'm like weirdly good the at price is right. Sirens are going off. That's right. I'm weirdly good at remembering heights and weights, and I, I know that's probably a weird uh, attribute to have and, like, pretty useless in general. But, um, yeah, it's, that's that's what I have. That's what I <laughs> – it's one of my abilities. 6'3", 328 pounds, Tyrese Robinson. Um, yeah, he's a guy that, you know, I remember in high school I, I really liked him because he was big and athletic, like, you know, Marquise Hayes was always that guy that was like, my God, he's just the biggest player on the field. And Tyrese Robinson's always kind of done it with a little bit of athleticism as well. And I think that that fits really well with what Bill Biedenboe wants from his guys. He wants those guys that can pull and, you know, work in space. You know, obviously the Lincoln Riley offense requires that as well. Um, So I think all of these guys, there's a lot of potential here. You know, there's um, really endless potential considering, you know, how well they've been coached. Um, So I think the let's go to what the end of the season offensive line lineup could be. Um, And I'm going to go I'm going to be pretty liberal with this. And I'm going to say that Eric Swenson gets beat out by Bray Walker by season's end. And. I'm going to say that RJ Proctor finds his way into the lineup and I'm going to guess for Marquise Hayes. So I'm guessing that there's a new left side of the offensive line uh, 
by the end of the season. Um, obviously, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. Like I said, Eric Swenson and Marquis says are super talented players, but I look at a guy, a grad transfer, like RJ Proctor, you see the experience he has. And generally when a guy grad transfers somewhere, there's a reason for it. And mm-hmm. that's, he wants to play. And so I think that, um, if he is in that ballpark and I, I just think he's going to get on the field at some point, you know, whether it be, cause I know he's a pretty versatile player that can play tackle or guard. And I think there's a scenario that Marquis Hayes just isn't quite ready to do everything that's asked of him in the offense and that RJ Proctor might step into that role. Yeah. Guys, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Um, no, that's really fair. I think yeah. the, I think Bray Walker is definitely the number one candidate to be starting by season's end, but probably won't right. be there at the beginning of the year, but yeah. Right. Bray's just like the dude-ness is high. And that's like with beat and bow, that usually means you end up on the field. Yeah. I'm with Bray. The, I mean, that the, Bray should be the starter. Like, Honestly, and like to me, the fact that he there's really two scenarios that could be playing out here why he isn't starting. And a Eric Swenson is a dude himself and is older, so he is getting right. the nod. Or B Bray is not putting it together the way you would hope. Um, I tend to hope that it is the former of those two, um, but I do think there's a scenario in which Bray after the season starts is able to put it together, you know, and like he could have a really strong fall camp, but still just be slightly behind Eric Swenson and the older guy gets the nod. Um, But then if there's any struggle in the season, I think Bray is going to be right there ready to pounce on that opportunity. And the deal with Bray Walker is like, he is an unbelievable freak of an athlete. He's listed, you might have to check this one for me. I believe he's listed at 6'6", 343 pounds. That's exactly right. Is that right? Yep. Yes. Okay. I, I've been doing my my research on the on the roster. Um, so, yeah, 6'6", 343. He is a massive, massive human being. And, like, if you look at him without a shirt on, this might sound weird. He is not a fat dude at all. Like, right. you could you could easily see him carrying more than 343 pounds, which is like a hilarious thing to say. Um, but that's the kind of athlete and that's the kind of frame that he has. Like, super long arms. Like, he can just do it all um, from a physical standpoint. And I know if Nathan were on this podcast, I'm going to channel my inner Nathan Hill. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about we're going to need to see some dog from Bray Walker for him to really be the full potential Bray Walker that he can be. He's a guy that in high school, I know he kind of did just enough to beat his man instead of like wanting to murder everybody that he was playing against. You know, like if you watch his highlights, you'll be like impressed by what you see, but it's like, Oh, he's just kind of letting that guy off easy. You know, he's just doing enough to beat him instead of like putting them in the ground. Like you watch Creed Humphrey highlights he was putting dudes in the ground. You watch Marquise Hayes highlights. He was putting guys in the ground in high school. And Bray was just kind of like pushing them around and making sure that they couldn't do what they were supposed to do. But um, I know for, for Nathan specifically, like he likes to see his offensive linemen just destroy people. And that was not something we saw from Bray. 
Um, so that's what I think we're going to. Yeah, if you give a see. if you give a Bray Walker, if you give a Bray Walker talent like a Cody Ford mentality, right? Yeah, I think it'd be top, a really good top three pick in the draft. If we could get a Bray Walker that's getting like starting by midseason and getting like two personal fouls a game, I think <laughs> I honestly think that would be a good thing for him and his future <laughs> because, like that to me is what I mean. Think about the good offensive lineman OU's had, and right. think about how many freaking penalties they've gotten. Orlando Brown, every game, multiple personal fouls. They had to work that out of him. Um, Bobby Evans was getting personal fouls last year. Cody Ford, obviously, getting a right. lot of personal fouls last Co- year. Like Cody Ford got personal fouls in a way that was like almost endearing. Like, right, and I think Bray Walker has that capability. Of Absolutely, like, it almost like it gives you. It gives you. Like a Draymond Green style of play, right? Like they right. Can't it's like Draymond gets a tech. You're right. Draymond gets a tech, and now he's allowed to do whatever he wants, and also the crowd goes wild. Like, exactly. It inspires everybody. You, whenever else. you have the most, yeah. When you have the most efficient offense, however many years running, who cares? Like, get that mentality going, and then get it back immediately on the next play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's. That's what you want to see from Bray Walker. And, like, we've talked about the culture of the offensive line. And, really, to me, the culture of the offensive line is to kind of be an asshole. And I hope that that rubs off on Bray Walker if he if he gets his opportunity on the field. Um, all right. So, honestly, to me, the offensive line is going to be largely built around those seven players this season. Um, there are other players on the roster. There are some freshmen, Stacey Wilkins, uh, Marcus Alexander, EJ and Doma Ogar, all guys that have really high potential. They were all, um, I think EJ was a three-star, but the other two were pretty high four-star guys. Um, the last guy I really want to talk about, actually, there's two guys that I want to talk about in depth a little bit um, before we move on um, to some recruiting stuff, but First guy is Daryl Simpson because mm-hmm. I mentioned how hilariously big uh, Bray Walker is. Right. And Daryl Simpson is bigger. The bigness, uh, the bigness yeah. of this of this fellow is something. Yeah, let's see. I yeah, okay. I, six foot seven, three hundred and forty nine pounds for Daryl Simpson. Um <laughs> like this guy is hilariously big. And his picture on Sooner, Sooner <laughs> yes. Sports, yes. I highly recommend. <laughs> I highly recommend looking at this picture. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this guy, <laughs> he looks like an offensive lineman, to, to say the least. Right. Um, yeah, really, all I had to say about him is that he's just one of the biggest human beings I've ever seen. Um, seeing him on the sidelines last year and at the spring game was just that's an experience in itself. Um, I could see him finding a role because he can play either guard or tackle. And, you know, so he's going to maybe find a way onto the field and hopefully at least be like a rotation type player. Um, he's got a lot of potential just with that size. He's not quite the athlete that Bray Walker is with that size, but Mm -hmm. he's a little bit meaner than Bray is what I would say. Like I, he killed people a little bit more in high school than Bray did. Um, and he looks meaner in his picture as well. So I'm taking that as a sign as well. Right. I agree. He's, uh, 
Let's see. He's not. Who is smiling in their offensive line pictures? Let's figure this out. Bray, Bray Walker smiles. Eric Swenson smiles. I wish they would cut it out, honestly. <laughs> Adrian Ely's kind of smirking. Uh, yeah, oh, Finley Robinson Felix, smiles. big smile. Yeah. Uh, no Creed smile doesn't from Creed. smile. No right. smile from Creed. No smile from Marquise. You right, know, EJ's. I think that. Oh, EJ's giving it to the camera. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah, it's. I wish they would cut it out. I want. I want them to uh, to make that a thing where the offensive line doesn't smile. But um, <laughs> I just think that would be an entertaining thing. Um, so, lastly, the last guy I want to talk about is a a guy that's relatively new to the offensive line, and that is Michael Thompson. Um, switched to the offensive line from defensive line in the spring. Um, this, I just want to mention him because, you know, I was talking about the physical tools that Bray Walker has. I think that Michael Thompson's not that far off physically from Bray. And he's obviously at a disadvantage because he hasn't been playing offensive line for all that long. And he switched in the spring, but just, you know, if you were to like, I mean, he would have been a pretty high four-star guy coming out of high school if he had been a, he was as a defensive lineman, but he would have been the same as an offensive lineman. And Lincoln, every time he talks about it, he says, yeah, we actually offered him first as an offensive lineman. And we feel like that's where he's, his future is. And I, I think that I don't think he's going to play this year. Um, it would be kind of miraculous if he did. Um, but I do think that in the future, you know, I could see him and Bray kind of nailing down those tackle positions because they just the physical tools are there like for both guys. It's going to be about the mentality. It's going to be about if they can get the mental aspect of it. Um, but Michael Thompson and Bray Walker, are probably the two highest upside tackles on the team. Right. And Michael Thompson has four years to figure out O-line. So, right. He's got yeah. a lot of time. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, he can become like the Jerome Boateng of uh, oh, there line. we go, there we go. Right, using his, uh, you know, using his knowledge of how a defender attacks to be a more successful offensive lineman. Perfect, perfect. I yes, like the, it. The long, they're playing the long game the whole time. That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. And like Michael Thompson's another guy. It's like he could really fit in anywhere on the offensive line. He's at tackle right now, but like he has the physical tools to slide inside and be a guard or like, hell he could be a center if he really needed to be, you know? So um, I'm really excited about just seeing what he could do in the future, but not necessarily this year. Um, all right. So for all of these, we've talked about recruiting to go along with, uh, with the players on the actual roster and I know that Sam and Ryan don't follow recruiting as closely as I do. So I'll do my best here yeah, again. Just, just lead us again. Yeah. Missing Nathan on this one. We uh, honestly, we kind of question where his priorities are. You know, it's like he said <laughs> that he had a, a busy week at work. And I'm just I'm not really sure I'm willing to accept that as an excuse to not be on this podcast. But we will persevere through this um, this hard time. Uh, so on the offensive line, we have three commits right now. And I want to start with Noah Nelson, who is 
a really tall guy is what I would say. Like I wouldn't necessarily call him the biggest guy in the world. And I think the overall uh, theme of the offensive line recruiting in 2020 has been interesting to me because Bill Biedenboe always been about being just getting these massive individuals and molding them into the player he wants, you know, Bray Walker, Daryl Simpson types, but it like seems that he might be shifting his focus a little bit to some guys that are a little bit more athletic that can maybe add some weight when they get to Oklahoma and then become those massive guys. But maybe at that point they can move a little bit better. And Noah Nelson is a guy like he's listed right now at six, seven two ninety. And if you look at him, you're like, Oh, he kind of looks like a power for or an old school power forward in basketball. You know, like he's not, he's not the biggest guy, you know, it's kind of a, he's a flat stomach type guy. And mm-hmm. so obviously that tells me he has a massive frame to work with and he's going to be able to gain a lot of weight once he gets to Oklahoma. Um, and that's just kind of a new philosophy for, from what I've seen from, from Bill Biedenboe and that, you know, that theme is kind of throughout this class. So um, with Noah Nelson, he's a really good athlete, elite length. He's going to be a guy that probably you know, he can play either right or left tackle, but maybe might be even a better fit at left tackle. Um, might wind up being a really elite pass protector. Um, you know, I think mm-hmm. that right now he needs to work like he could probably improve a little bit in terms of just being a little bit nastier on the field, you know, like really try to just embarrass people, you know, like that's really what I want offensive linemen to do in high school. You know, the guys that are good enough to go to OU are better than. 95% of the players they're playing against on the defensive line. Right. So I want to see them just try to kill those people, you know, and I don't see as much of that from Noah Nelson as I would like it. That definitely flashes like there's like, Oh, he did just kill that guy, but it doesn't happen as much. He kind of does the Bray Walker enough to beat the guy, but not embarrass him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got, We'll see how he does this season. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe recruiting to OU will give him like the spark. You know, maybe his commit is what's going to give him the spark of confidence to just really go out there and hand it to people. Because now he knows, right? Right. Yeah. Like he's he knows that what he's going to be getting into, he's going to have maybe he'll start working on that more. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes guys make big jumps as seniors. You know, like the film I've seen of him is as a junior in high school. Like he's still an extremely young football player. And so he has time. He has a full year before he even gets to OU. So we'll see how that develops. Um, The next guy I want to talk about is Andrew Rame from broken arrow high school. Number one offensive lineman in the state or really the number one player in the state of Oklahoma. And this guy was actually a really interesting recruit because he committed to OU a long time ago, I think as like a freshman. And then he decommitted and it was like, eh, it's fine. He'll commit again. Um, and that, but like this summer when it looked like he was about to like actually make his commit, which he said was going to be his final commitment. It really looked like he was about to commit to Georgia. Mm. And that was just something that I couldn't understand. Like there are, 
some positions, if you're in the state of Oklahoma, pretty much if you're a defensive player in the state of Oklahoma, I could see why you would want to go to Georgia and leave your hometown or your home state team. I had no comprehension of why an offensive lineman would want to do that thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's what it seemed like he was going to do. Um, But Bill Biedenboe decided that he wanted to keep him in state and Bill Biedenboe did his Bill Biedenboe thing um, and wound up landing the commitment from Andrew Rame. And Andrew Rame is everything Bill Biedenboe likes in an offensive lineman. Um, he's a guy that athletic enough to play the tackle position, big enough to play the guard position. He is an asshole on the football field. He kills people every play. Like it's just play in and play out. Andrew Rame is embarrassing the player across from him. And that, I mean, everything that I said, Noah Nelson needs to improve on. Andrew Rame is doing that right now. Like he's not, he is like, I think his future is at guard, uh, but he's a guy that, yeah, you could probably put him at tackle and he would be fine because he's a really like, I know a lot of people have talked about him being the most technically sound offensive lineman they've seen in high school in a long time. Um, like I guess, but like his offensive line coach played NFL and I think his, maybe his head coach was an offensive lineman as well. And so he's got like really good mentors at broken arrow that have really kind of guided him to being pretty much college ready as a high school junior, you know? Um, so he's a guy that I think could factor in early, even next year as a freshman, um, depending on how the depth charts looking. Um, last guy committed Nate Anderson, He is, I think he's my favorite offensive line commit that we have. Um, He is the most athletic of the group. I think he's listed only at like 6'5", 260 right now. So he's kind of another guy that is going to have to gain a lot of weight once he gets to college. Um, But this guy could play defensive end. Like he's that athletic. Like straight up, this guy, you do not see high school players move like him and just crush people in space like he does. Um, and he's a guy that doesn't really have the requisite size that you need to be in college, you know, be an OU offensive lineman, but he does like kill people and that's really exciting. And when you combine that with just the ridiculous athleticism that he has, I think this guy could be like a future first round draft pick. Like he is that talented. Um, like I watched him, like we offered him pretty late in the process. We had some other offers out and we offered him. And I watched the film and I was like, holy shit, why have we, like, why is this guy not like a top 100 player in the country? Like, he is unbelievable to watch and like just watching him pull. Like, he's going to be like, think about Bobby Evans playing right tackle when he was, you know, killing it on that counter. Like, Nate Anderson was built for that play specifically. Um, so that to me is really exciting. He's probably the guy that I'm most excited about out of all of them. And I really like Andrew Rame a lot too, but. I'm a big Nate Anderson fan. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to see more of Nate Anderson because obviously Rain being the Oklahoma guy of the bunch and number one player here, he's the one I've seen the most of. And he's, like you said, got that dog mentality that you love to see, especially at the highest level in Oklahoma going against a, some decent competition there. So if you think Anderson's better than him, and he is the higher recruit also. So could be a good uh, 2020 offensive line class. Right. I mean, this just this to me sounds like a pretty standard OU football offensive line class. It's like, oh, yeah, it's three guys. All of them are great. And like 
I like that we started with this guy's six seven two ninety. Um, this guy is mean and the best player in Oklahoma, and like this guy is actually, and then like the third guy is now the guy we're most excited about. Like, it's yeah, obviously right. beating Bo's recruiting is in a good spot because when has it ever not been? Yeah, no, he's arguably the best coach on the staff. Like he, the consistency in what he does year in and year out is just. It's really unmatched. And like the fact that I really like it, like I know we talk a lot about stars and obviously these guys are all highly rated, but with him, he could offer a bunch of three stars and I just would not care because I trust his evaluations more than any service. And the fact that I think he looks for personality traits as much as anything, like he wants those guys that are willing to kill people or at least have that potential. You know, that's the kind of players he looks for. Mm -hmm. And to me, that in a lot of ways is more important than the physical attributes that they all provide. Like Ben Powers, not the most physically gifted football player to ever play. But like the guy talked about crushing grown men's dreams. And that to me is like (laughs) that's better than any physical attribute he could have had. So um, that's what I love. Bill Biedenboe's recruiting style. And he's doing all of this. He's never pulled a five star offensive lineman. Like he's never, we honestly haven't tried for that many. Like, I mean, we offer a few every year, but like they're usually out of region guys. It's hard to land out of region guys on at any position, but Mm -hmm. um, he really identifies the players that he likes that fit his personality and fit uh, the system that we want to run. And I think he's done a really good job in 2020. And this might wind up being his best offensive line class, which is kind of scary to think about. Yeah. Um, All right. So, do we want to? We're kind of running short. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's like astonishing. We're, we're at like an hour, and that's oh, you know, it's a, no. sh- a short, wow. a short one. So, what uh, else will we do with the rest of our evenings? I know. Yeah, that's probably a good place to stop. I feel like, um, unless you guys yeah, just want to talk we've about giving the people, giving the people what they want. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We. I mean, we could talk about the coaches' poll, but. Do any of us have takes about the coaches poll? Does anyone have a take about the coaches poll in the world? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of SEC. I mean, oh well, yeah, it's, there's a lot of Big Ten also. Like Northwestern's up there. I yeah. mean, they oh, won their bowl game, but yeah, Northwestern won their bowl game. They were Northwestern's uh, going to be Big Ten butts. All right, I I have a take about the the coaches poll and. UCF is going to have a very disappointing season. Is they're at number seventeen in the coaches' poll. I think that they are going to go like eight and four this year. I haven't even looked at their schedule. Don't care. Brandon Winbush is their quarterback. Josh Heupel's their coach. That's that spells eight and four to me. Um, but yeah, I don't have their schedule have is incredibly easy though. Is it? Just I is. don't care. Don't even yeah, care. they don't. They don't even play. They don't play Memphis. They play like. None of the tough teams, in, like they play Cincinnati, is the only tough team from the American that they play, and then they get like Stanford and Pitt out of conference. Oh yeah, they're losing both. Yeah, Josh Heupel and Brandon Woodbush. That's all I gotta say. That's my argument right there. So you you that that would mean yeah, eight and four is that's that I would say that's a hot take because that's like losing all of their tough games and then like also one blowing one. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, that's that's happening. 
Josh Heupel and Brandon Wimbush. That's fair. There we go. Okay. Um, okay. I guess and Texas is at number ten in the coaches poll, and I just that I they're going to disappoint this year. It's going to happen, and it's not honestly even going to be their fault. I don't know why they're ranked as high as they are. Like I don't get the I do not get it with them. I know I picked the them post bowl like, game hype man. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, yeah. I picked it's, them like fourth it, in the Big Twelve, and that might have been a little low, but like. Two starters back on defense, and apparently right. Sam Ellinger's the greatest quarterback ever now. Like, come on. Let's let's be smart about this. Right. I'm so glad he threw a pick in the OU game just to get that out of the way. Because imagine if he yeah. had carried that streak into this season. Yeah. Yeah, that for sure. Yeah, we almost dropped that pick too. Like, Parnell Motley totally mistimed his jump. And I am really I'm glad we're done with the offensive uh, position previews because I'm ready to go off on some of the defensive things. Um, I have take I have more takes about that because offense, it's like, yeah, it doesn't really matter who we play. They're going to be good. You know, mm-hmm. defensively, like, like matters. Yeah, it does matter. Like right. it absolutely matters on defense. And right. Here's I'm my looking first talking about yeah. that. Here's a, here's a preview defensive take. This is what I'll leave everybody with. Um, and that's that the roster, the way the roster is set up on Sooner Sports is like so dumb and just idiotic. Do you, how many players are listed at defensive end on the roster? Don't look. I'm going to guess like two. The answer yeah, don't is, they just call them all defensive line? The, well, they do, except for uh, Joseph Wete, who really? is who is listed at DE slash LB. He is the only right. player listed at end. You, you know who is and not listed like at DE slash right LB? Now. Mark Jackson Jr. and Jalen Redmond. Right. Yeah, what is Redmond at D-line? There, no, he's listed as an outside linebacker. They're linebacker? Is he really? Yeah. Nick Benito, Mark Jackson Jr., Deuce Nisbet, Jalen Redmond, John Michael Terry, David Oguegbu. Uh, those are your outside linebackers, I guess. And then you That's... have your normal linebackers. Like this is this makes no sense, and we know that this isn't what it means. And right. so, why is it the way it is? Yeah, it's it's just, it's a strange. I mean, the roster is kind of dumb. Like it's it's good for looking at like heights and weights, even though those aren't like the most reliable thing. They're actually pretty unreliable. But at least you're like, oh, this guy allegedly lost weight or something you know so that's that's good it's good to kind of like laugh at the offensive line numbers too um also yeah looking at the defensive line and uh some smiles i don't know yeah i know that yeah even more so than offensive line i don't think the defensive line should be smiling i think neville neville is not smiling at all oh (laughs) neville's picture is terrifying yeah he looks mean so therefore, Neville's obviously going to be the best one by right. far. This is this is we're finally going to get the Neville Gallimore breakout season. That's right. Very exciting. What the stuff. Athletics calling for? That's true. They are. Um. All right. Well, do we want to just go ahead and and call it good? I think I think we can call it good. Uh, thanks for listening to the Oklahoma Drill. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, the Google Play Store, or on Podbean. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at RWMaxi, at Alex P. Purdy, and at NotThatSamDavis. 
Uh, and if you've enjoyed the podcast, you should uh, leave a review in the iTunes store or whatever uh, platform you are subscribed to. Or, you know, share it with a friend. Let people know. Uh, you know moving into the defensive side of the ball, I think it's, a, it's like we're approaching take time, uh, which is, you know, one of the best parts of the year. Uh, so it's, it's going to be exciting to listen to. I think we're certainly going to have fun with it. And if you know anybody who would enjoy it, I should, uh, and so with that, we leave you, um, and we'll see you again, uh, soon.